Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is the woman who knows how to set personal boundaries, Alex Standy. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. We're kind of in another unusual Thursday in that uh, this time we don't have a guest on Thursday. Well, we do have a guest. It's just the guest is also somebody we know real well. So... <laughs> Alex is both the guest and the co-host. You're wearing two hats today. I, w- I must say you wear them very well, Alex. I like wearing a lot of hats. <laughs> you do very nicely, very nicely. So, yeah, this is going to be a, a rather interesting conversation because we've made reference numerous times over the past months about all the medical issues you've been going through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, there have been a ton of them. You have had enough for three people, I think, maybe four. Yeah, no, I've had enough for a lifetime. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I take no doubt about that. Um, and, and, you know, certainly that's been a theme here on the show many times over the years. Uh, people who, mm-hmm. who claim they, they tell their own stories, they share their, their difficulties, their challenges, and, and then their triumphs afterward. And, and uh, very often how people achieve those triumphs, that's, that's where we get our inspiration. That's where we get our lessons and how we learn to apply stuff in our own lives and so forth. By the way, oh, something I got to tell you, and I'm letting our audience know for the first time. Ooh. I just got word of a really exciting development here on LOA today. Spoiler alert. Everybody ready? Here we go. Spoiler alert. Starting Tuesday, April 11th. So that's a week from this coming Tuesday. Okay. going to mark the return of Joel Elston. Joel Elston in the building. Can you believe it? I I can't believe it. uh, We're going to be doing the Tuesday shows at a different time from the rest of them. We're going to do them at 7 p.m. Eastern rather than 4 p.m. Eastern to accommodate his crazy schedule because he just can't possibly do it during the day. But Well, I mean, (laughs) you get what you get. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that to me, it's a coup because he and I have been chatting about, you know, how could we do this? And we finally realized that um, an evening opportunity and evening option was going to make the difference and so we, we've been kicking it around and he came back with tuesday at 7 p.m i said yeah that works <laughs> that works i love yeah. it i miss joel i i had the best times talking to him i learned so much from him he is amazing yeah i mean you really mm-hmm. learn a lot and, and there's an example of a guy who has been through hell and back Look. yeah and look at all he's able to teach as a result of that. So I'm kind of anticipating, no pressure, but I'm kind of anticipating the same thing here. <laughs> <laughs> he is like the epitome of a Cinderella story. He really is. Yeah. 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 And uh, by the way, Sam Page, who does Tuesdays with me, is going to be joining us when he can on that 7 p.m. time slot. So there will be three of us. Cool. So, ah, April 11th, mark it on your calendars. It's going to be good. That's the day. Stuff. <laughs> Unless this is all an April Fool's joke and you're just messing with us. Uh, well, it's not the first yet. That's two days away. So if it is an April 1st joke, then I'm ahead of schedule. <laughs> it could be a long con. You never know. It's possible. Yeah, that is true. It could be a long <laughs> That's why I like to do my April Fool's jokes. Is like I like to salt pepper them in around January. Mm, January? Well, that's yeah. that's not just long. That's excessive. No, you got to <laughs> plant the seed. You got to plant the seed, and then and then you got to water it. You got to add sunlight. You got to help it grow, and then April first, boom. <laughs> you do serious April Fools if you're doing that. That's a four month April Fool or three. Sometimes three longer. Sometimes. Uh, holy crap! <laughs> Sometimes I start. April 1st, the year before. You're a dangerous girl. You know that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. 
Do not cross me. <laughs> well, considering what you've gone through the last few years, I think we can give you a little special dispensation on that one. Cause, yeah, I can you know, you, use a little laughter. You kind of deserve that, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to turn the mic over to you for a bit. What? We, we have picked up in bits and pieces the stuff that you've gone through, but let's lay out the map. What have you gone through? And start at the beginning, if you can. If you know where the beginning is. I don't even know where the beginning is. Of this. Do you know? I, I've pinpointed it to about, I'd say I was 15, maybe 16. Wow. Maybe, okay. maybe even younger than that, because actually my painful periods started when I was 11 or 12. Okay. And it's just, but it's just always what I've known. I've never known anything else. So I didn't know anything was wrong. And of course, doctors in women's health, not the best. So of course they're going to tell you, yeah. eh, it's just painful periods. That's just, you're just an unlucky woman, whatever. Did, did you catch uh, the interview that I had yesterday? It was a woman who's an expert in menopause and perimenopause. Oh my God. No, but I'm gonna. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> check it out. And, and her story is not unlike, I mean, it's different because you've yeah. been through various different things, but it's not unlike yours because she was on a, a horrible cocktail of stuff when she was in her mid teens. Mm. Mental health wise or? Uh, physically. Okay. Yeah. So it messed it mess with her hormones and everything. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Check that one out. Yeah, if, I'm definitely and, and, and make sure you're in a high vibe space before you listen to the first 20 minutes. The rest of it was great, but the first, you know, it's like any of these stories, the first bit is tough to get through. Yeah. I mean, that's a given. <laughs> so take us kindly through the tough stuff. <laughs> so kindly through the tough stuff. I mean, I remember, I remember my very first period. I was, I was in the bathroom throwing up and I thought something was wrong. I was like, I, I didn't understand what was happening. I was 11 and I was just sick and I didn't, I didn't know. But then, you know, your mom tells you that's just how it is. Blah, blah, blah. You go to doctors at the age of 17. I said to my doctor, no, nah, let's just take the uterus out. I don't even want kids. Like, let's just, wow. let's just veto the whole idea. You're too young. You're going to want kids. You don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Doctor after doctor after doctor told me the same thing. So I let it go. I was like, all right, fine. I'll just deal with it. Cut to, let me see, about 33, 34. I started mm -hmm. having major issues as far as um, bleeding in the abdomen, stuff like that. So that's when they dis they decided to give me an ablation. They're just going to take the lining out of my uterus and that should solve all the problems. Mm. The only problem was I already had endometriosis spread throughout my body. Ooh. Wow. Now, what is endometriosis? For those of us who don't know, and, and they didn't teach you in health class, that's fine. They didn't teach me either. So <laughs> endometriosis. There are a lot of things they didn't teach me. I don't know about your health class. They didn't teach me a whole bunch in health class. I know. I probably learned more in my health class than you did. <laughs> probably. Mm -hmm. But so endometriosis is a disorder where the, the, the tissue inside your uterus, if everyone knows what it does, it basically... It, it protects the uterus. It, it protects the baby once it's in there. But if it, there's nothing in there, it sheds and bleeds. And endometriosis is the tissue of the inside of the uterus that spreads throughout the body and goes where it's not supposed to go. Wow. So it does that sickle thing where it sheds and bleeds anywhere in your body. Mm. And that, that's the problem. So I ended up getting thoracic endometriosis, which is endometriosis in the upper body, the thoracic region. Mine was mainly focused on my right lung. And that meant every month my lung was bleeding and it had, and shedding, but it had nowhere to go. Wow. And, until my, until I turned 35 and I ended up in the hospital with a collapsed lung. 
Hmm. And they said they couldn't figure out why I was having a collapse long. It was collapse long after collapse long. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Finally, one of my, um, they realized it, it went with my periods, but it was hard to diagnose because I had already had the ablation. So therefore oh. I wasn't having periods. So they couldn't clock it. It's a, it's a very rare thing to, and it's hard to diagnose anyway. So with that issue, it made it even more complicated. So I didn't get thoroughly diagnosed for another two years. So, so you chest- went two years going through collapsed lungs mm-hmm. and chest tubes, and and they had and they kept having to drain you and all that kind of stuff, and, yeah. you, and they had no idea what was going on. No idea. Finally, one of my gynos, I went to like three or five. <laughs> it was it was a lot of them. I'm sure. And they said, finally, one of them said, "Do you think it could be thoracic endometriosis?" And I said, "You're the doctor. You tell me. <laughs> you tell me. Yeah, what do I know. <laughs> I came to you." <laughs> <laughs> Who's paying the money here? Let me get this yeah. straight. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask my insurance. Let me see what they say. Mm. So yeah, it was um, it was that one doctor, Doctor Lupton. He's still with me, and uh, he said it, it might be thoracic endo. And then they started running tests and MRIs and CAT scans and all the fun stuff, and they figured out that that's what it was. So now it was a matter of how do we fix it now that we know what it is. Mm. And that's when they were like, you know what, you might want to go to Boston. We don't know what to do here. We just don't. Mm. And I'm like, thank you for being honest instead of killing me. Very honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate, it. appreciate that, right? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I, I went through, I went to Boston and saw a couple of specialists and, and it was weird. It was a little serendipitous. I couldn't get an appointment for like six weeks or so, mm. but I was still having the collapsed lungs. So one day I got a phone call that said, hey, we have an appointment open today if you can make it. And I said, nah, because it's, it's two hours away. I got to prepare my anxiety, blah, blah, blah. You have to get a ride. And then my, um, my mom was like, I'll take it off work. We'll just go. I was like, okay. So me, Kenny, and my mom got in the car. We all went to Boston and went to see the doctor, explained what was going on. She was like, yeah, we. I'm going to talk with my colleagues and see what we can do about it. And then she said, by the way, how are you feeling now? And I said, honestly, I don't feel my best. She said, you don't look your best. I was sweating profusely, breathing heavily in between my sentences. And she was just like, why don't you go downstairs to the ER and get checked out before you go? And I did. And I ended up staying two weeks. <laughs> so wow. yeah, because my lung, my lung was full to capacity to the point where my heart was pushed over to my left. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So I had to have a chest tube put in immediately. Um, I ended up with a chest tube in for seven days and then like four or five days of just recovery. And then I went home, but they, I had every single doctor in the hospital in my room at that point, And they all came and they all came up with a plan. Everybody, everybody had a body part to figure out. So it was like, it was like a great team. It was like a Grey's Anatomy episode. It was a fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the main subject. So it was mm. great. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens at that point? So after that, that's when we decided to um, have a, it wasn't a pleurectomy. The pleurectomy was the last one. They did something to my lung where they, they, they went in there and they scraped all the endometriosis that they could see and they scraped it all out and then they resealed the lung. So hopefully it would inflate and it wouldn't collapse anymore. Um, they, they also did a dual surgery. So the gyno took out my uterus and my right ovary. They left the left ovary because of things that could happen 
with hormones that could cause me to have heart disease or osteoporosis or any other type of issue that can come with lack of estrogen. So that's why they left the ovary. Well, it turns out that wasn't a good idea because estrogen fuels endometriosis. So if it's anywhere in your body, it's going to keep growing if it's fueled by estrogen. So six months later, we figured that out after a couple more collapsed lungs. <laughs> and I and, remember the sequence too, because I remember when you went, when you had that really, that was a major surgery that was going yeah, on. It was really yeah. major surgery. And I remember that. And I remember thinking, great, this is going to resolve it. And then yeah. it was like six more months of, well, we're not quite there yet. Like, what yep. what's <laughs> going on here? It was like, oh, go with God. You're, you're all fixed and everything. And then it was like, great. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? My lung feels a little heavy. I'm having trouble breathing going up the stairs. I'm going to go get checked out. And lo and behold, I was full again. It was time mm. to go back in. Wow. Yeah. How is this affecting you during that time mentally and emotionally? Mentally, it was, it was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Um, if I didn't have my team and my support system, I, I don't know where I'd be, to be honest. I mean, it was, it was like, I had my mom, Kenny, my, uh, my nurse, mm -hmm. my psychiatrist who did most of the legwork. <laughs> he was like, squeaky wheel gets the oil. Which doctor do I need to call now? <laughs> ah, well, you need somebody like that in your corner. Yeah. That's my, Dr. Sam. That's my, that's my dude right there. He don't play about me. That's one thing. <laughs> that's great. That's having somebody like that is just really mm -hmm. yep. powerful. Yeah, he's he's my pit bull in my medical corner. Yeah, tell <laughs> that. Wow. What when you think about what you went through though? Because I'm sure this was like the ongoing thought. You wake up in the morning and you know you're back on the same thought train again because you can't mm -hmm. really get away from it. It's right there. When we're dealing with stuff that's high trauma, I'll call this a high trauma yep. extended event. It, it's not one, it wasn't a single event. It was a series of events, but I'll just call it one extended event. It was a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. Yeah. But when you're, when you're going through high trauma like that on a regular basis, so that it's a chronic condition, that's really what this mm -hmm. was, it was a chronic yes. condition. It plays on your mind. I mean, it, it, I don't care what kind of trauma you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's going to play on you. Yes. How definitely did you get through all that? Cause a lot of people, well, we'll think, well, on the one hand, I could probably get through that. On the other hand, I have no idea how I get through that. And, and there may even be people listening right now who are going through something else that has a, a similar level of, of, you know, chronic trauma going on. Give, give people an idea. How do you get through something like that? Again, I have to give it to my team, my support team, and everybody made sure that I didn't feel sick. So they, distractions were, were a great key. Uh, Kenny would be like, oh, let's go to the park or let's go to the beach or let's go do something, so, you know, safe enough that I can do, like right. not like a long walk. Right. <laughs> Can't right, do right. a long walk. <laughs> yeah. But like things that I can do, let's go to the movies, let's go do this, let's go do that and, and things to keep my mind off of it. But also the love and support I got from people outside, like, oh, we know you're going through this, but we have your back, you're gonna get through this, it's gonna be great wait till the end. And that that's what I had to keep thinking of is wait till the end. Wait till I get better. Cause that's ongoing, right? I mean, your, yeah. your, your mind is constantly going to the negative and then you're having to pull it back to the positive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially when you you're confused about your symptoms. So mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, Oh, I can't breathe, but it could be just cause I gained weight and I'm walking up the stairs. 
So I would brush it off and then it'd be mm. too late and I end up in the hospital. So don't do that. Mm. Always, if you're having any symptoms, go get it checked out. You need to. Listen to your body is what that is. Listen to your body. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So number one key, get, make sure you have a good team on your side. Yes. Never settle. Always advocate for yourself. And like my psychiatrist says, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah, that's always been true. That's been mm -hmm. true for generations. So, yes. All right. So there's a couple of uh, survival techniques. So you're in the middle of surviving this thing and trying mm -hmm. to find a way out. Did you despair? Probably a couple times. I've, I've felt helpless. I was like, I can't. I literally have to lay in bed. I can't do anything. Mm. I physically can't get up. I would, there's so many things around the house that needed to be done, but I can't get up and do yeah. them. And then I have to depend on other people to do them the way that I do them. So that was like a mental toll messing with my head right there. I was like, you don't clean like I clean. It's not clean. <laughs> so I had to deal with that and I had to get over it. Honestly, I had to just let people help you. That's what I had to learn. Talk about that for a minute. That, that's really kind of important. I don't think we really mm -hmm. touch on that much here on the show, but, um, it's, it's actually an important way to get past resistance points. Mm -hmm. so often we feel like we have to get past those points ourselves, but sometimes it's about letting somebody else help us get there. Yeah. I think that was the big lesson with this whole thing is let people help you. Cause it's like mentally, physically, all of it, you need help. You can't do it alone. You can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got your important lesson out of it. And then when did the breakthrough come? So <laughs> that was after a couple of chest tubes more. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So next we had after the, after the other um, chest tubes weren't working and the lung kept, kept not inflating, they decided to do what was called a, oh, no, the name of the doctor is Jack Litch. What was it? It was a catheter. Oh, this is really important. Hold on. Thoracic. Okay, well, I don't remember the name of the type of the catheter, but it was a catheter that had to go inside my lung and part of, and then there was a drain that came out of it. So I had that for seven weeks. Wow. And then my nurse had to come every day and drain the fluid out of my lung. So that was, that was awesome. That was... <laughs> <laughs> Not that exactly the, the adjective part. I would pick, but okay. That was the funnest part, let me tell you, because it was like, I took one look at it when I got home, and I almost threw up. I was like, how is this in my body, and how am I still standing up while this thing is halfway out my body? I don't know. I don't know how people did it. I give props to my nurse, because he looked at it, almost threw up, and did it anyway. <laughs> wow. Wow. For seven weeks, so got to give him props. Yeah, yeah. Well, also to you too, because you're going, you're enduring that for seven weeks. Yeah. It's not, it's very painful to, because when it drains, it's like when you get to the bottom of your drink with your straw and you're sucking up the air and the bubbles and the ice, that's, that's that feeling. Mm. All right. So one challenging experience after another, one really traumatic. I think trauma really does apply in almost everything that's, that's I don't even think here. it's trauma anymore. Like it's, oh, it was like, it's, it? it's so on a level. It's like, you know what? The trauma level got so high. I was just like, it is what it is. 
just, I can't do anything else. I'm just going to have to let the universe handle it. Surrender. Yeah. That's what I had to do. Mm -hmm. Does it help? It does mentally, because then you're like, it. Th there's less pressure. Mm -hmm. There's less pressure on your mental to be like, I got to fix this. How are we going to fix this? How, how, how am I going to get better? If there's nothing you can do, just relax. Let it, let it take care of itself. Your body will do what it does. The doctors know what they're doing. I know that for myself in instances where I've gone through surrender, one of the things that I end up doing is, first of all, I end up relaxing. It's like I took that, mm -hmm. that deep breath out, you know? Yeah. And then the second thing that happens is, I don't know about you, I kind of find in those situations that once I've surrendered, I get more hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. You start to you see a brighter I mean? future. Yeah. Yeah. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Happened. It's not like anything has happened yet. It's just that you kind of gave in and switch. that alone. Right. Yeah. It's a like, switch. And then you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. That was there all along, but for whatever reason, you couldn't see it before. Yeah. You had that, you had doubt standing in your way. There was a doubt right. shadow yeah. standing in front of the light. All right. So, all right. You, you, so you've been through numerous uh, treatments. You've been through the major surgery, a couple more drinks. catheter just came to what, me. Plurex catheter. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So then you're dealing with seven weeks of the catheter. Mm -hmm. At this point, I don't know about you, but after a couple of years at this point, I'm thinking to myself, this either gets cured or I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where it was. <laughs> I mean, there's, after a while, it's like there's no in between anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I was suicidal because I've been there before and this wasn't it, but it was definitely taking a toll depression wise. Mm -hmm. And I just, like you were saying, I had to surrender. There's, there's literally nothing I, else I could do. Mm -hmm. So I had to just let go and let God, as they say. <laughs> so where, where to go from here? So then after the Plurix catheter, um, that was removed. Everything looked good again, and then it wasn't. <laughs> Everything looked great for like another six months, and then except for the um, they had put me on medication for hormone control, and that put me into gave me menopause symptoms. So hot flashes plus August, not fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember not enough fans in the world. Let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, when, when Louise went through menopause, I remember August, particularly July and August was mm -hmm. horrible. Mm -hmm. yeah. To say the least. So I put a gabosh on that on that medication. I told my doctor, I stood up for myself. I was like, listen, the hot flashes are too much. I'm not taking it. I'm supposed to take it for six months. I did four. I'm done. And my husband was mad at me. He was like, I was like, but you don't understand what I'm going through. So I'm mm -hmm. going to talk for myself because mm -hmm. you you're not here. You just see me going like this. You don't understand my body is overheating and I really need to stick myself in a freezer. Right. So, so I said, I, I stopped the medication. The doctor said that was okay. But then the lung collapsed again. Mm. So now I'm fed up. I'm like, listen, guys, I want a team meeting with everybody. I want everybody wow. on the Zoom call. <laughs> I wow. want all the departments on the Zoom call within the next week. And they did. And... One one doctor was in surgery, took a took a time out of surgery to come to the Zoom oh call. Goodness. I was like, okay, I feel good about this. Yeah, <laughs> that was the yeah. thoracic surgeon. That was that's his job is the main job is the lung area, so he had to be on the call. Yeah, the person on the table and their family weren't too happy, but yeah, I get it. 
I mean, I'm hoping it was like a dual surgery and his part I, I wasn't hope ready so. yet. I, I hope <laughs> yeah. they were just left there. I hope they didn't just put the scalpel down and go pan to the phone. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so we got everybody together on the call and we decided that removing the last ovary and killing all the endometriosis and put basically putting me into surgical menopause was the only legitimate option. And Kenny came up with that idea. He did it. He did all his research and he's like, I think this is the only way to go. So he said it to the doctor. The doctor was like, we agree. Wow. We agree. So plan the surgery. And then I think it was a month later. Yeah. Cause that was in December. And then January 11th, I had my last surgery. I had a pleurectomy and it, an oophorectomy, which means they removed my last ovary and they took the lining, the, the endometrial lining out of my lung. Okay. So now I'm breathing better. Well, oh, by the way, they had to break my rib. That oh, didn't God. find that out. <laughs> found that out last week. <laughs> they were like, wow. we, yeah, we could. They the the cat scan said it was a follow up cat scan, and it said um, previously fractured rib, newer than twelve twenty. And I was like, I don't remember breaking a rib. <laughs> And then I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, did I move wrong and do something during my, during my healing time? And then I, so I call my doctor. They're like, oh no, we had to break a rib to get in there. We, I'm sorry. We didn't tell you. Okay. <laughs> Good God. I mean, there was, there was other side effects of each surgery. I, I lost my appendix, but it's okay. You don't need it. At least that's what they tell you. Hmm. You, I you, no longer you, you have the ability misplaced it someplace. <laughs> no, they literally, I woke up out of surgery and found out on the family group chat that they had to take my appendix because there was endometriosis on it. And I was like, Oh, oh I don't have, I woke up without an appendix, but that's not the surgery I went in for. Mm, yeah. That's okay. Like I said, yeah. didn't need it. <laughs> right. Wow. All right. Well, so now you're what, almost three months removed. Not quite. Yeah. Two two thirds months removed from yep. the last surgery. Mm -hmm. Feeling good. I feel good. But you I also have good. a history of having gone months at a time. And he's, so is that hanging over to you, or are you able to a little bit? It's a it's a little bit hanging over my head, but at the same time, I do feel better than I have felt in the past. So okay. I think I feel like this is the last. I mean, like they took all the endometriosis, and they took anything that can make endometriosis out. So like, I don't know how it could possibly happen again, but we'll see. <laughs> well, you also raised the point earlier that um, th some of the stuff that they took out plays a direct role in the production of estrogen and yes. your body needs that to a certain degree. So I, I, I imagine there's some kind of supplementation going on. I don't know exactly how that would work. Yeah, I'm on hormone replacement. Um, I'm on an estradiol patch, a very, very, very low dose because they don't, again, want to fuel the endometriosis. But at the same time, being without menopause causes a lot of problems. So mm -hmm. I'd have to be on something. Otherwise, I'd be going bananas. Understandable. Yeah. And do they... Oh, well, I, I think I probably already know the answer just because of what you've gone through. But do they have any clue as to why the estrogen is driving the endometriosis in the first place? Uh, that's just what endometriosis does. That's, that's its fuel. That's what it eats. So, I mean, it, I mean, they, cause other people, lots of women have estrogen and they don't have endometriosis. So it makes me right. what the difference is. Nobody knows where endometriosis comes from. Mm. It just shows up. 
It's just yeah. in, in your body. And then endometrium, I mean, estrogen makes it worse. Then also too, it doesn't know how it travels to other parts of your body, but it can be, it can be found anywhere. Mm. Yeah. So less than, less than 15% of women get endometriosis and even less than, less than 5% get thoracic endometriosis. Yeah. You were one of the, the lucky slash unlucky few. I'm always one of the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. We need to change your luck, girl. No, I feel, I'm feeling pretty lucky. I mean, I, I went through a lot of drama, but like I'm on the other side of it, still smiling. So I'm still lucky. So you think maybe it's already flipped? I can't see how it couldn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, ultimately we know vibrationally that's the key anyway. If you yes. believe that it's changed, then it changes regardless yeah. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So let me ask the obvious question. Do you feel like that that's playing out? I do. I do feel like that's playing out. I'm getting healthier every day. I went for five walks this week and that's better than the zero that I usually go on. So <laughs> that, that's a significant improvement. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, how do you feel after the walks? Not as bad as I used to. I used to be out of breath. I used to be sweating. Like, I mean, like, like when overweight people exercise, I was mm -hmm. having those symptoms. I was flush. It was, it was, and from a walk, it's not even, I wasn't running. I'm not running a marathon, just, right. just a walk. Yeah. But yeah, now, now I feel a hundred percent better. You do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a sigh of relief to hear that. And I'm, I'm I sure know. for you. Yes, it is. And for everybody else who's been riding through this whole thing with me, especially my husband. Oh my yeah. God, that poor guy. <laughs> well, credit to Kenny for, being there for, for being supportive in the way that you needed him to be. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's important. That ties back to what you were talking about earlier, having the right team on your side. I mean, this kind of ties into the larger theme that we've talked about a lot, that the social connections, this social calling it social connections. It's kind of just a generic way of saying who you're connected to and what kind of connections mm -hmm. you have. Um, but really in this case, it's familial connections and professional connections, medical connections. They, they all are kind of under that one umbrella, but those connections, man, they're just, they're vital. Yeah, they're necessary. Networking is key in any type of situation you're in. You got to know people. If you didn't have the connections that you already had, and you had a, a fairly good support network even before you went into this, mm -hmm. yeah, what would you have done in the midst of it? Because there are people who find, I mean, quite commonly, the ones who are most at risk where the lack of connections are concerned are the ones who experience issues of various kinds. Mm -hmm. And once you're in it, it feels like, well, now what do I do? It's too late. It's too, and even if I have just learned the importance of building connections, I can't do it right now. And yet you got to do something. And, and I know it's kind of an impossible question, but based on what you experienced, if you didn't have the connections that you had, what, what could you have done? Can you, can you like, can you speculate on that? Social media. Social media, because I learned a lot of things from TikTok, believe it or not, okay. and Facebook groups where I had the same issues as other people. So other people are experiencing different things, but within the same confines of what you're experiencing. So if you join these groups based on whatever's ailing you or whatever issue you're having, you have like-minded people talking about your situation and you get different perspectives. So is it the information that comes from the perspectives? It's information. It's um, camaraderie. It's it's a bunch mm -hmm. of things. Okay. 
Interesting that you should mention that because so often we hear people complaining about social media and about mm-hmm. the detrimental side of it and so forth and stay off of it like you stay off the of news and you know, all that kind of, and, and here you are talking about the positive side, which is a, first of all, yeah. a good reminder that everything is, you know, two sides. Um, it's not all black or all white. It's right. You know, there, there are, there are elements of both. And even more than that, you found something that not only was it helpful, but you could celebrate it. Right. That and I actually created my own Facebook group. You did. You created a new I one. I did. Yep. I created a new one for it. Um, for as a support group for thoracic endometriosis survivors and their support people. And people have been finding their way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool to start a, start a medical group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to ask, other than your story, and your story is a significant one, are there any other success stories coming through that group? I haven't heard success stories. I've heard mostly uh, stories of people giving up, unfortunately, oh. because of where they are. I Again, me being lucky, I'm near Boston, which is mm. where the top people are. Yeah, that's so I, the capital of the world right there. Yeah. Exactly. I was at Brigham and Women, so I was very lucky. But there are other women who are nowhere near us that can't get the help they need because there's doctors don't specialize in this issue. Hmm. They barely know anything about it. They barely even know how to diagnose it. Yeah. Most people get diagnosed by accident or by being near death. Okay. Wow. So that that means there's still a lot to be done. We I think we already knew that because. Oh, there yeah. wasn't a lot of knowledge in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it also shows how important it was for you to set up that group. I, I guess the only thought that goes to my mind that is a little bit of a concern for me is if there's that much negative result going on, is there any chance that that group is not raising vibration as much as it's lowering vibration? I feel like it's a safe space for everyone to tell their story or how they're feeling about, about what's going on with them or to bounce ideas and symptoms off of, off of each other. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a safe space more than, more than like, um, positive or negative. It's just a place for discussion. Well, if you're in a bad space, safe is a positive. Yes, it is. And I also think that when, when people are sharing their stories in the group, you're helping out other people, whether it's positive or negative, you're helping out other people because you, like I always say, tell your story. You don't know who you're helping that day. I think it's a kind of a reminder that positive and negative are actually relative terms. They aren't absolute. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you're in the depths of despair, anger is actually a positive by comparison. Mm-hmm. Or letting it out is a positive. Or letting it out is, is also a bigger positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would like to use the Abraham Hicks scale, the, the emotional guidance scale. If you're really low on the scale and you climb one third of the way up, you're still in negative territory by most people's objective measure. But from where you were, you're actually in a positive territory. By right. Comparison. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really important to remember, I think. Mm-hmm. So I can see why that that safe space actually is, is really important. I yes. suspect that what will happen is the longer that group lasts. I think it's going to go on for quite some time. Mm hmm. It's probably, you're probably going to start. I mean, you are already a success story. So you are able to share that with other people in the group. Yes. I make make TikToks about what I'm going through, mm-hmm. shove my husband in there a couple of times. Cause you, yeah. you know, you need your support team to tell, to talk about what they go through, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's not, it's not just you going through it alone. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, those those support mechanisms are vitally important. I don't care what kind vitally. of like you don't even, you don't even know you don't yeah. know yeah. until you need it. All right, so let's take the assumption that you really are through it all. Fingers crossed. All right, so let's, let's, <laughs> let's start with that as our our presumptive stance. Where do you want to go next in Alex Dandy's life? I got things to do. I got a house to buy. I got a business to start. I got things to do. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, doing an entrepreneurial, um, masterclass with Dan tonight. So really? I got things to do. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello to Dan for me. I will. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, now mm-hmm. is this tied to Kenny's tattoo parlor or is this something else? Yes, it is. It yep. is. Okay. Kenny's Savage Tattoo. We're, we're getting ready to open up a brick and mortar as soon as we can get everything in order. Ha. <laughs> It even rhymed. That was pretty good. Um, a little bit. <laughs> so uh, do you have a timeline on that? I don't want to put a timeline on it because that puts pressure on us if you oh, don't. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay. okay. So it happens when it happens. Exactly. We're a very it is what it is type of family. So mm-hmm. well, <laughs> it happens when it happens. When you go through what you go through, you kind of have to live moment to moment. I mean, we talk about yeah. that a lot. Living in the now. Mm-hmm. Living in the now has is a very powerful thing because when you do that, you're basically saying, I can't deal with all that past stuff and I can't deal with those future uh, things I'm trying to figure out that I'm scared of. So I, I just have to live right now. Yeah, exactly. Do what you can do today. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful space to be in because when you can maintain that, that's the real mm, That's the When key. you can maintain that, that's your best chance of being high vibe. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. And we know that's the So I say high vibe. So that also, well, it, it leads to an obvious question. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer, but I want to ask it anyway. To what extent throughout all this process have you been able to be high vibe, truly high vibe? And to what extent has it helped? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I'll, I'll start with the last part of the question first. Yes, it has helped being high vibe. I think without you and other people that I've met to get me to this level, of high vibe, I don't think I would have survived, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Too many hospital visits, too many chest tubes, too many moments alone in my head. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't have survived. Wow. Well, good for you. Thank good you. Get through that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, let, let's go to the harder question, which was the first part, which was to what extent were you actually able to stay there? The reason I want to ask that question is mm-hmm. I think we have this construct in our minds, especially when we're in the midst of a really tough situation, a challenging, a traumatic, whatever situation, mm-hmm. that we have to always be high vibe. And that's just not realistic. It's just not going to no. happen at the time. That's, that's so, too much stress. That's putting a date on yourself. In a sense. Yeah, it is. So what I like to try to understand is to the best of my ability, how, how much can I evaluate? How much high vibe do I need to get to? Like if I'm high vibe X percent of the time, that's enough. What's X? I just need to laugh three times a day. That's, that's my bare minimum. I just need to laugh three. I don't care how it comes. I don't care if I got to turn on a comedy special. I don't care if I got to make my husband tell me a joke. I don't care if I got to go on TikTok and go down a rabbit hole. I need to laugh at least three times a day. That's a good rule of thumb, actually. Yeah. Spread out throughout the day. Spread out throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you, so you get like two or three data points to look back on and feel grateful about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's the minimum. That's it. That's not, that's not the maximum. That's the minimum. Also, yeah. I have a minimum requirement of 22 hugs per day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Don't care who and, they come from. Well, no, I do. I'm very, I'm very picky about who I hug. I do care who they come from. <laughs> it's just, it has to be, I don't know why I picked the number 22. I think I just like that number, but um, I was reading about oxytocin and how you get it. So I was like, yeah, I need 22 hugs per day. And that's what I told my husband. So made it mandatory. So, so do you actually track it? I mean, do you know that you're getting 22 or more a day? Me and my husband do this adorable thing where he will boot my nose and I can tell him how many hugs I've had today. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a robot thing. He'll go boop and I'll go, it's been 13 hours since my last snuggle. <laughs> or boop, I've only had 15.2 hugs today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's good. Yes, well, I keep track. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Mentally, <laughs> nothing else. But yeah. How 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 often do you think you hit your quota each day? I mean, it's been getting less and less because as we're getting back into the heavy set of uh getting into work and my husband's back at work, he's not home taking care of me anymore. So uh it's down to it's in, in the tens, the ten to twenties, but it's still up there. Okay. But every single day. Every single day. Mandatory. Do you do like a, a neopositivity? He, he, he puts uh, reminders on his phone to give him an alarm every, you know, 20 minutes or something to, to do something positive or do an affirmation or whatever. Do, do you, do you clock it like that? We do have a 222 alarm, which is, it doubles as my, I have to pee alarm because that's another <laughs> story. And then it all, it's also my, um, it's our soul number for me and Kenny's soul number. So at 222 oh. every day, we stop whatever we're doing, text each other. We love each other or what, or give us a hug or I love you or whatever. Okay. Hmm. All right. I hadn't heard that one before. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That That's another way to really leverage and, and lean on your connection. Yeah, exactly. That's really great. I love that. Yeah. We love it too. We're corny like that. <laughs> All right. Hey, it doesn't really matter whether it's corny. Who cares what anybody else thinks about it? Oh, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Well, I know you don't. I mean, you, have, you have such <laughs> strong boundaries. It just. <laughs> True story. True story. I mean, if anybody were to come along and try to impose upon you, I, I would pity them if they tried. To <laughs> if they ever came along and tried to impose on you what they thought you should be doing to deal with the situation, they they might be lucky to walk out alive. Um, <laughs> they might be. I've gotten a lot, lot nicer in my old age. I'll say oh, that. Okay. <laughs> You've mellowed a just, bit. I just, I don't go straight for the throat punch anymore. <laughs> I actually like, let me think about my words. I don't care how it makes you feel, but let me think about how I want to appear. So you can be a little bit kinder about it. That's good. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Not by much, but growth takes time. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> I'm not, like back in back when I was a teenager, I was just I was just punching people. I I didn't even say anything. But now mm. I use my words. I still punch you, but with my words. <laughs> I punch you with love. <laughs> because I'm going to say goodbye, but it's going to be the best goodbye you've ever had. So <laughs> I'm going to let okay. you know why I'm leaving, how I'm leaving, and when I'm leaving. So let me uh, see if I can get you to kind of tie all this together. We talk here on the show a lot about mm -hmm. the various journeys that people go through and especially the challenging ones, the ones that have crashes and burns and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yep. And inevitably in any of the stories that we hear along those lines, there are certain things that the person 
comes out of it with like, they, they don't want to have to ever repeat any of the events, mm-hmm. but there are things that they learn from it and that they, they adapt and grow from it and so forth. Is it too soon for you to answer or, or can you identify ways that this whole horrible experience has actually helped you to grow and to become stronger and a better version of Alex? Um, I want to bring it back to the point that we were making earlier about the support team and not doing it by yourself and depending on other people and letting people help you. Mm. <laughs> that is the big one because as an independent black woman, you, you do everything yourself. You, you pay your own bills. You do whatever you have to do. But there are people placed in your life to help you along the way that you're not utilizing and you should. How do you see that helping you even more going forward? I feel like I've learned that I'm not alone. And that is a very important point. And to use that for anything, like um, as I'm writing my business plan, I'm reaching out to people that already have businesses. And I'm like, oh, how can you help me here? I'm less afraid to ask for help. I think that's what I've learned. Why do you think people are afraid to ask for help? We don't want to feel stupid that we couldn't do it ourselves. I think okay. that's usually what it is. You think that's the root of it? I don't, I don't know if that's the root. I'm sure everyone's got their different reasons, but I think mainly we want to be able to do it by ourselves so we can say we accomplished it all by ourselves. Because for some reason that means more than if you if your village helped you. And yet you've come out of the other side so far with an appreciation for the village's help. Yep. So how exactly does that, I mean, I can tell it must have tr- transitioned that belief. Yes. But talk, talk about how it has talk, talk about what that transition is like. I think it, it has to do with also while, while you're getting older and realizing your, your, your bounce back factor isn't what it used to be. Hmm. So whatever you're going to do, you're going to need help getting out of it. <laughs> So you might as well create this village that you need. And I, I don't know. I just, it just gave me a sense of, what's the word I'm looking for? Wholeness? It gave me a sense of wholeness, knowing that no matter where I went in life, someone's there to, to hold my hand. So is it fair to say you feel more connected? Yeah, I will say that. Like spiritually connected? I don't know if I call it spiritual, but I do have more faith in the universe. I definitely do. All right. Emotionally connected? Emotionally connected, even even through social media where people are like, Mm -hmm. I used to think when people said thoughts and prayers, I was like, okay, (laughs) that's just something people say. But like, no, I really feel this last surgery. I was brought through by people and their thoughts and prayers. Wow. Talk about that for a moment. Talk about um, how you got that that sense and what it meant. I literally woke up this for some reason. When I wake up from surgery, the first thing I do is look for my phone because I got to know what happened in the last nine hours. (laughs) What I missed. (laughs) This is the 21st century version of waking up from surgery. (laughs) No, because last time I woke up from surgery, I was sans an appendix. So I was, I'm double checking my social media to see if I lost any body parts. (laughs) (laughs) Got to check the group chat and make sure I have all the body parts I went in with. So (laughs) I'm going to take inventory. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when I woke up this time, I, I, before I went in, I made a post saying, check on my husband. He's going through a rough time. I'm going to be knocked out for the next nine hours. <laughs> so check on him. And the love and support I saw on my page from that oh. post, oh my, at least 60 people, random people. I mean, oh my God, I'm about to tear up. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was amazing to see all that, all that love. Mm. <clears throat> okay, I'm good. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen you break up emotionally like that before. That that's you have you have because I talk about you all the time and ha and how I've gotten here because of you. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate you're welcome. that. <laughs> but I still say, I mean, you you don't show that for it, maybe you've experienced it. You I, that's the most I've ever seen you show it. I think I can say it that way with complete honesty. Okay. <laughs> that, that, wow, that was a lot for Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt it all that day. I did. You're still feeling it now, I can tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's meaningful. Yes. It's an amazing feeling to know that people care that much about you. Mm. Does it does it change the way you feel about people? No. <laughs> <laughs> Changes the way I feel about thoughts and prayers, but <laughs> Okay. All right. But people are still the same, you know, whatever. I still have the same boundaries I still have. I mean, I'm not going to start opening up the, the wet works just because I went through something. No, mm -hmm. no. Okay. I thought about it, but I was like, no, no. You thought about it. I did. <laughs> For like 2.5 seconds, I was like, maybe my dad should know what's going on. And then I found out he does and doesn't care. And I was like, oh, okay, then bye. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Then keeping that boundary in place makes a lot of exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it it opens your eyes and makes you makes you have different perspective for different things. So I thought about it for a second, but no. Mm. Then I came back well, to reality. Has, is there anything that has shifted? You know, I mean, you, you talked about a moment ago just how it opened your eyes to to different things. Is it is it something where it opened your eyes to something that you you've hung on to because you said, "Well, that's cool. I'm going to keep that." Um, my agoraphobia kind oh, of so. kind of put it to the side a little bit. <laughs> Okay. I, talk just, about that. I just decided that I don't even think I decided for myself. I think my brain was just like, listen, life is short. Do we want to spend it inside for the rest of our lives? Wow. No, we don't. That, well, that's significant. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be it's honest. Huge, you, you, huge. you fought for your agoraphobia tooth and nail for quite yeah, some time. I did. I was like, I love my comfort zone. You're yeah. still getting out of here. <laughs> I remember those conversations. It's warm and comfy. <laughs> And now that's shifted. That's really something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How's that feel? <sighs> like a weight has been lifted. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like I, I can go outside it. without fear. So you think it's, it's gone? a great feeling. Hmm? You think it's gone then? Yeah, I would say. I mean, everybody has their days where they're like, nah, I'm not going outside. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I've, I've, we plan vacations. I go camping. People wouldn't, I mean, even, even at my reunion, people were like, this is, this isn't the Alex we knew 10 years ago. And I was like, no, it's a whole new me. Come so, over and meet me again. Somebody brings you onto their podcast. Yeah. And, and you tell them how you used to be agoraphobic and then you no longer are. And they ask you, how, how did you do it? What are you going to say to them? My support team. 
Because honestly, if it wasn't for Kenny, I wouldn't even think about doing the things outside that he wants to do. So if it wasn't for him pushing me to go do these things and at the same time making me feel safe enough to go, I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone. But you also have to be willing to do it. I mean, let's be honest. You are one of the strongest willed women I've ever met. You have Period. to, be, you have to be on board. Although he, he could push you all he wants and it's not going to make any difference if you're not going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's where the safety feeling comes in. And once I felt safe enough to go, okay, I know if I go with him and I say, I'm uncomfortable, we can leave right away. So with, with that knowledge, I felt better going out. Okay. But you also had to be willing to try it. Yeah. You, you had to have some reason to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Above and beyond. It could, I mean, it's easy to say that it was because he made it safe for you. But still, mm-hmm. you got to want it. Oh, of course. I've always wanted to try these things. I was just too scared to do them. So what changed where that was concerned? Because he can make it all the safe that he wants to, but you still have to change your mind about that. I had fun doing it. Ah. Once I got out there, I'm like, yeah, this is something I could see myself doing again, especially yeah. if I'm planning it. Cause then everything upgrades. Cause he does the bare minimum. He's like, yeah, we're going camping. No, 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 no. We're not going camping. We're going glamping. Cause I don't sleep on the ground. That's not happening. <laughs> the way my back works out, I'm not sleeping on the ground. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're going to get like, we're going glamping. We're doing right. it. Five star camping. Yes. Five star camping. Mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. Hotspot, everything. The whole thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you just said something really important, I think. And mm-hmm. I suggest maybe it's part of the answer when you, we have that hypothetical podcast visit where they ask you the question, which is it's, yeah, it's having the connections, but it's mm-hmm. also being willing to find out if you like it. Right. That's the key. That's where and some things, some things you're like, mm, I don't know, that doesn't seem like me. And then you try it and you're like, all right, I had fun, but would I do it again? That, that's when you got to think, like, would I do it again? And if it's, if the answer is yes, then do it again. It reminds me of early in my relationship with Louise, when we first mm-hmm. got married, I took her to the lake where my parents lived and where ultimately we ended up living for a year in mm-hmm. Virginia. And I told her that one of the things we like to do every summer when we go there, my brother, my sister and I would uh, rent a jet ski and just, you know, jet ski around the lake. And she said, you're not going to get me on a jet ski. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and the first so time I got her on the jet, jet ski, <laughs> once she experienced it, I couldn't get her off the jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's how it happens. Now I'm calling Kenny like, hey, you want to go camping this weekend? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just, I just booked a site. We're going camping. Okay. Get the food, get the cooler. That's really cool. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Well, cause you've been there. You've seen how far I've come. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, well, that's one of the reasons I'm glad that we did this episode so yeah. other people can hear it and, and see it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you have been going through, first of all, one of the most rough roads I've heard of in a long time. Mm. Um, Although I had a guest on Tuesday who easily rivaled it, but nevertheless, it's not like these things are comparable anyway. You know, right, right. Their own. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more than that, yeah, it's it's palpable growth. I yes. can see it. I can feel it. Literally. Yeah. And Feels good. It's fun to see the oxes coming out the other side, and kind yeah. of makes me wonder who who's it going to be a year from now. 
<laughs> I don't know. Uh, I may or may not have gotten a email about a movie that's shooting in my area that they're looking for um, Ooh. background people. And I'm like, Chatham's close enough. I might do it up like old to old times. It's been a while since I've been in a movie. <laughs> You, you and my sister, they, they've got a, a film being made in her area, too, and she's up for, for an extra role. So Nice. Yeah. Both of you doing the same thing there. Yeah. I used to do it all the time as like a side hustle because Boston was like a hub for movies. Yeah, you sure. Know? So me and my brother were like in the background of every movie that came out in like the early 2000s. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The- yeah. PJ doesn't have quite the same opportunity. Try on North Carolina doesn't really get a whole lot. Yeah, of it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Boston. <laughs> no, not really. No. <laughs> but uh, no, this has been great. And thank you for, you know, telling your story, sharing it. Hopefully there are going to be people who find it and listen to it who need to hear it. Yes. Um, I'm sure there will be. There always is. Well, I'm, I imagine you're going to share it in your group anyway. So there's going to be people there who will, you know, be able to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I want to give you what I always give to guests. Don't on do it, Walt, because I'm going to cry. I swear to God. <laughs> All right, go, why, go. Why, why, why do you think I do it? <laughs> I know, but I cry when you say it to other people. So I'm like, oh no, it's my turn. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so Alex, there are see people you've never met and you've never seen, never will meet, never never will see who are benefiting from what you're telling them. So on their behalf, thank you for what you've been doing. And we're so glad that you're coming through the other side so that you can tell that story more and more. Thank you. Yeah, this is really good stuff. So thank you very much. And uh, thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>